Welcome everyone to this episode of the MBE Enterprise Podcast, where we talk about money, business, and entrepreneurship with some of the brightest minds I know. Today, I am joined by investment advisor rep, Josh Darwin. Josh, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. I appreciate you having me on, Matt. I'm excited to talk about some cool things. Dude, I'm excited too, man. This is the first uh, episode that I a lot of them that I've had on so far have been kind of the entrepreneurship side of this, where this one, I think we really get to get into kind of my passion um, as well as yours, which is the finance, investing, money kind of side of things. So I'm pretty excited about that for sure. And Josh, to start us off here, kind of, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what, you, what you've been up to lately? I know you uh, graduated college recently and have been working. Um, kind of tell us about that side of things and the, where you're at in your, your finance journey with that. Sure. Yeah. So I graduated from NDSU, North Dakota State, last May. I was on the track team there. Was in the finance pro or program major. Um, during college, actually, I worked at a independent investment advisory firm in Fargo. Here, it's a, it was just a small firm. Me and my boss for a couple of years just did assistant type work and research that type of stuff. And then eventually, I think it was end of my junior year. So yeah, yeah, junior year. I got my licenses so I could actually manage real money. So I've been doing that for over a year now, almost a year and a half, I think. Um, so it was just small friends, family, people I can find, you know, um, wasn't much, but learned how to manage money and what that all takes. And now I'm graduated, just been working a little more and I'm actually going to be changing jobs here soon, but I can't give too much detail on that, but pretty exciting. I got a good offer to work with someone, you know, very well. So. I'm pretty excited, but yeah, just that's where I'm at in the journey right now. Just beginning. You mentioned that kind of licensing process you brought up a couple that you did a couple of years ago here. Um, take us through that. What was that kind of like, uh, you know, studying for those exams? I'm, I, the audience might not be aware. I'm, I'm kind of aware of how that goes. Um, tell us a little bit about that and just kind of any struggles or the, the journey along the way to get that accomplished. Cause it's a big accomplishment. Sure. Yeah. So First, I did the insurance licensing. That's quite a bit easier. It's tough. You got to study, but I did that over a summer and just studied a few hours a day and took a month or two, got the test done, and then took a little break and started on the, it was a series 65, so it can make you, make you an investment advisor representative, so you can represent an investment advisory firm, give uh, manage money, give advice. And there's a, if you ever heard of like the series seven, series 66, series 65, they're all those type of tests, different meanings, but it's kind of all different, different difficulties. And 65 is I've, how oh, I understand it's one of the, it's not the hardest one, but it's, it's, it's hard. And I made the mistake of doing it during my, probably my hardest semester of school and of track. So I failed it once first. I failed it by actually 1%. I failed it. So that's, I think, one or two questions. Um, I probably should have waited till after school to do it, honestly, or during the summer when I had more time because I was only doing one, two, three hours a day. And if you're full-time, they make you do it like 40, 50 hours a week. It's your only job for about a month or two. So I, I made the mistake of doing it during school and track. And I actually passed, though, so it worked out fine. It was, it was a grind, a lot of studying, a lot of new stuff you never heard of before. But you just got to grind it out. and get it done. And it was a big relief once I finished that. But yeah. It's, it's tough tests. The series seven, I feel like is a popular one. I'm, I'm aware there's a bunch of them like you, like you mentioned a handful, at least. Um, was there something particular about series 65 that kind of made you lean, want to lean that way, as opposed to some of the other ones you brought up, or was it kind of just a, just a decision you made? Just how our, our firm works um, and how a lot of industries going, it's going towards more advisory rather than broker dealer. If you don't know the difference, advisories like we manage like funds for people and we charge a fee where broker dealers like a fee or a commission on every single trade. So an advisor gives you, it's more towards the best interest of the client. You can make a thousand different trades and the fees can be the same versus broker dealers fee in every trade. So if things are going bad, we want to get out and into a different sector or stock or whatever. We're not punished for that. We have more flexibility. So it's just how our firm works is the 65 is the test we needed. So. For sure. For sure. Um, another thing that is kind of a psychological uh, 
thing to get over here, I would think, is you talk about you that gave you the ability to manage other people's money, which for anyone who's never, you know, done that, like that's gotta be a pretty big deal in your head. Cause it's one thing I've always thought anyway. I mean, it's one thing to kind of put your own money somewhere. It's another thing to kind of be in charge of someone else's money and where there's at. So what's kind of from the, you know, a little bit of the psychological perspective, what's that kind of change been for you uh, going, going through the past year? Yeah, definitely uh, makes you pretty nervous, but it's nice because then, like, I honestly, I, I care more about them. I mentioned their money than mine. I, I can gamble with mine, I guess, if you want to call it that. And it's not gonna bother me as much. But if it's other people, you have the, you have to have the, if, as an advisor, you have to have their best interest in mind. It's just regulation. So, and if a regulator came in and saw all these different crazy trades you're making, whatever, you'd be, you'd probably get your license taken away. Um, but managing money for other people, you just, I mean, a lot of it's just like the basic investing, diversify across different sectors, different size, you know, and just get them a well-rounded portfolio based on whatever their risk they want to be. So, yeah. Now, when you talk about uh, the diversification aspect, are mutual funds, you know, ETFs, that sort of thing, do they come into play a lot as opposed to, I think a lot of people think of, you know, when a lot of people treat investing like gambling uh, incorrectly so, and they'll just go after maybe this, uh, they, they heard about this stock on the news or saw it on Reddit or social media, and they want to just try and try and buy it for the, for the massive gains real quick, get rich quick sort of scheme. Um, and obviously those, those things happen, they, they exist, but it's kind of getting yourself in the frame of mind of, of gambling as opposed to investing. So are you guys working with a lot of uh, mutual funds, ETFs? Is that kind of where you deal with there with clients or is it more individual stocks? Not that, not that individual stocks is always gambling by any means because um, yeah. you diversify, but you know, you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. So pretty much all of it's like ETFs and most of the industry is going towards more ETF than mutual fund because usually it's a little more liquid, a little more, uh, well, there's less fees a lot of times too. And it's, generally the same thing i mean they're all just a basket of stocks you know um but yeah it's mainly all going towards etfs we've noticed um and they're just easier to deal with you know less less share classes than if you know how mutual funds work but um yeah pretty much everyone's going to be mainly etfs for their whole portfolio and going to be spread across like large growth large value mid cap small cap all that and just get well balanced because you know, you know how diversifying works. Everyone should know how that works. It, if you put all your stuff and all your eggs in one basket, you're either going to make a break. And we just want to get, honestly, really just the market returns. That's pretty satisfactory for everyone. So, You brought up one of the big points uh, that I want to touch on here between ETFs and mutual funds that uh, you're kind of shifting to the, the ETF strategy. And one of those things being fees, one of those reasons, I should say. Can you speak a little to kind of the importance of that for investors and, and not um, being aware of their investments? Maybe they're maybe they're not using it at financial advisor, perhaps, and they uh, are doing it on their own, and they're not sure. But between two different ETFs, one of them has a one percent fee, and they're like, ah, one percent—that's that's pretty small, right? It doesn't seem like a lot, you know. Can you speak a little bit to just kind of how those fees could potentially add up down the road for people? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, like a lot of the large cap mutual funds or ETFs, a lot of them are pretty much going to be an S&P or like a NASDAQ, like essentially. Not, maybe a little differences here and there, but say they're both the exact same fund. One's a mutual fund, one's an ETF. And the mutual fund has a 1.5% fee. The ETF has a quarter percent fee. If you I mean, you got to go and run on an investment calculator online. Just do the difference between $10,000 for 30 years growth at 8% and do it at Eleven and a half percent, and you'll see how much of a difference one or even like half percent on a fee can make. It's big. It's I can't do the math in my head, but a, a half a percent of a million dollars is a lot of money. Yeah, it's it down to yeah. it. So. Yeah, I think it gets overlooked a lot um, in investing. People get kind of. I, I think it definitely is changing. Like you're saying, like there's definitely becoming a shift uh, towards. It obviously started with Vanguard way back in the day, and yeah. the whole idea of index funds in the first place, but. It's, there's definitely a shift toward people, more people understanding that uh, those those fees and kind of the silent fees in a way of how they can really add up across time. Because in the same way that you know compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world working for you, it can also be 
a negative working against you in that same way when those percentages are adding up. So I think that's something that's certainly, uh, certainly important. And Josh, moving away maybe from the kind of your professional side of things and more towards kind of just your personal investing um, for yourself, just to kind of clarify that here. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what are some strategies that you, I know you're into trading. I personally, myself have, I've dabbled a little bit. I haven't been as big in the world of um, trading. I think you and me, I don't know that we necessarily like disagree upright, but we have some little differing kind of perspectives on, on maybe some of that. And I kind of want to get yours today. What's kind of some of the strategies you use trading, maybe the the people you've learned from, resources, all, all that sort of thing, all things trading for us here. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people start off, they think they can trade, you know, maybe it's like in a strong bull market, like 2020. And you get lucky and you make a bunch of money, you think you can trade. Um, that's how a lot of people start, including me. So I pretty much I started with my own money in 2020. You could throw a, throw a, whatever, you could pick any stock you want and you probably could have made money in 2020 almost. But a lot of people start like that. They make money, think they can trade, think it's easy. And then a, like a bear market comes around or a correction comes around, you lose like more than you started with or whatever. But, um, that happened to me. It happens to a lot of people. And like I remember the, if you remember the whole GameStop ordeal, you know, I saw my account double in a couple of days and I saw it go down 50%, 60% in a couple of days within, you know, back and forth. And I remember after that, I kind of just told myself I need to stop trading for a little bit or thinking I can trade. And I didn't actually really learn. Um, cause people have done it. Uh, it's pretty rare. You gotta be really disciplined, really committed. Um, people have done it. So I told myself, I'm going to stop trading, take it easy. Um, you know, I'm going to find who people have done it before and learn from them. So uh, I kind of started off really on Twitter and YouTube. That's the two most important places I've found to learn trading, honestly, because a lot of traders put their stuff on there. Um, just started with whoever looked up who was ever successful and followed them and followed what they did. And then eventually find their books or their courses and, um, you know, it's been two years. I've probably been just continually learning, like almost every day. Just, and I'm still, I'm not a good trader. I, don't, I, I couldn't go and do it for a living like some people do. But I feel like I'm years ahead than what I was, and I actually have a pretty good grasp. It's just hard to apply it in real time, you know. And I'm not a prof, super profitable trader or anything, but I'm definitely learning. And people I'm learning from have done it for. One guy specifically has done it since he's probably 30, 40 years. And he's the main guy I uh, learned from. Like, I'm kind of rambling, but that's just how I, kind of, how I got into trading. I just told myself I need to learn. I can't just be gambling pretty much. You know, It's gambling if you don't manage risk and do it the right way, but it's possible. It's just hard. For sure. Yeah. Who are some of those um, maybe mentors as far as trading goes that you've uh, followed over the years found to be pretty consistent if those listening are interested in kind of getting into it potentially themselves sure yeah so the the three main ones i'd say that are still alive and like putting their stuff out putting content out is the main one jim ropel by far him i learned the most from him by far i've learned i've probably learned more than him than i have in all of college just trading wise but uh him he's number one jim ropel uh, Mark Minervini, he, he's probably, a lot of people consider him one of the better traders alive right now. He's, he's crazy what he can do. He, um, there's a investing championship, it's called the U.S. Investing Championships, and he won it twice, I believe, back in the 80s he won it. He's been full-time trading since, um, as his full income, and he actually did it a couple of years ago in the million dollar plus division, so your account has to be over a million, and he did 331% in one year just in that division. He killed everyone else in that so he's he's a good one to learn from and then oliver kell he that's k-e-l-l -L, oliver kell he uh also i found about him from the u.s investing championships in just the normal division um he did a thousand percent in 2020 in just one year so he and he learned from those guys too kind of so those are the three guys the main ones i learned from um right now and all those guys really learned from past guys who learned from past guys who learned from past guys that's just uh, how it goes pretty much everyone builds a little bit on top of each other um and i and i can show you some resources too in a little bit and some books of the guys they learn from but those are the three guys right now who have twitter or youtube or both that i've learned from 
without giving away all their uh, secrets or your total strategies, if you had to give kind of a, a beginner crash course to someone who was totally inexperienced with stock trading, what would be a, a few like key points or key uh, key points of emphasis that you'd want to tell them right off the bat? Sure. Um, so the number one, pretty much everyone's going to tell you is to manage risk or don't take losses. You're going to cut your losses quick and small. That's what pretty much everyone's going to tell you if you look around and look at their courses. Um, and next one is just getting the leaders. So if you look at Overwatch stock market, there's always going to be leaders that are leading the market higher. The new innovative companies, you know, right now it's like the NVIDIAs and the Celsius's and the whoever, new products, the leaders. Um, those are the two, honestly, like the two main things you really need to know. It's some people have said it as you get rich by hitting home runs and taking small losses. So riding big winners and cutting your losses really quick. Cause if you, if you, as Mark Minervini says, it's, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts if he's going to get them. Cause he takes small one, three, five, 8% losses every time. It's never more than that. Cause you can never, you, you can't lose like much money if you just always take small, you know, and be disciplined. And you get, you need takes one or two or three winners to make up for that. So. It's really about staying small in losses and hitting home runs is the way they phrase it. When you bring up some of those those leaders companies, uh those those innovators that you're talking about in, in their respective industries, is that in large part due to just the volatility that would be going through with the number of trades? Like the um why is it that they maybe recommend those top ones, would you say? So I I can uh actually let me just show you because the guy who really like made them popular, I guess, in my opinion, or from my research, I guess, was Bill O'Neill. He he wrote this book. It's kind of hard to read. How to Make Money in Stocks. It gives like a whole, he did research for I don't know how many years, but um, look at the biggest winners of the stock market over the time and all the same similar characteristics they had. Um, and he wrote it, he figured out what, what's similar about them and he wrote them all in a book and it's it's called Can Slim. It's C-A-N-S-L-I-M, CanSlim. It's an acronym. And they each mean a one thing in, in an equation to find, like, the next big winner. Um, but in leaders, as, as meaning, like, they've been the price. They're gaining the most in price. Um, you know, if that makes sense. They, they're leading the stock market higher. Because yeah. that's what you want. You want If you're, you want stocks that are going higher, that's just the base, most basic part of it, you know. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Another thing you've brought up a lot here uh, has been the the discipline side of trading, kind of the psychology of it, right? Because I think that you spoke to it a little bit earlier. I think that's why so many people struggle and so many people fail with it ultimately is because they might have, uh, they be, might be following a set of specific rules, you know, or guidelines that they're kind of to follow with it. And a lot of times the great ones, like you've talked about, have the ability to just stay disciplined, stay like a robot, you know what I mean? Like just stay disciplined to the point of they they won't give in to their, their natural human instinct or, or panic or, you know, loss aversion or fear of missing out, all the common acronyms you have. Yeah. How how important would you just say that, that that role of the psychology behind it is and, and how have you maybe... Um, made gains in overcoming that in the past and also maybe still struggle with today. Could you speak on that a little? Sure. Yeah. I mean, those top guys, the Minervinis, the Ropals, the Cows, the whoever, they wouldn't be there if they didn't have discipline, like ultra discipline. They, as Minervini says that he says, don't let it ever be just one time. Cause just one time turns into more and more and more. It comes to bad habit, but he'll, he'll never like ever take a loss over five to seven percent or whatever i don't know his exact stop is but he'll never take it over that by choice unless something gaps down if you're familiar with that term but overnight or something but he'll never take a loss i mean you can't it's hard to lose when you never take anything any big losses and you're just trying to find the big winners um and they also like in bad markets like the last year and a half two years they were in a lot of cash, just sitting in cash, doing nothing, sitting on your hands. That's like one of the hardest things people do, I think, especially me. Like if you're on, in front of the screen all day looking at stuff, you want to you wanna trade. It's like, a, it's like a slot machine almost. You, you're going to trade if you sit in front of the screen all day. But it's just being able to sit in cash, do nothing, watch, and just be patient. That's 
because it can take years like we've seen the last two to get a bull market again. So just being able to follow those rules very strictly. Besides those um, three guys you mentioned, are there any other like, I know you mentioned books as well. Are there any other like online resources, like websites that you maybe find to be more in your personal experience, more um, reliable than other resources or anything like that? Yeah. So one of the, it's kind of like a trading school, I guess that it's, it's uh, called trader line. It's Richard Moglin. He, uh, him and some of his, some of his people that work there, they have interviewed all these traders, which I've, that's where I learned my stuff from the interviews. They interview them, how they do their stuff and their techniques, everything strategy. Um, they have the interviews, they have courses on different strategies, like the Bill O'Neill can slam. They have a whole course on that and YouTube videos on it. Trader lines, honestly, probably the biggest, or like in my opinion, the best for someone starting to, um, that and Jim Ropel, the first one I mentioned, he has something called the Ropel Report, and he was a he was a Canslim guy like almost his whole life. He learned under Bill O'Neill for however many years, but he's been doing Canslim for twenty plus years. And his report he gives out every week is a webinar and a report with fifty, sixty, seventy pages of just the leading stocks and possible entries. It's not advice; it's not telling you when to buy, but he points you right to the names that are, are the leaders. So. I'd say Trader Lion number one and Ropel Report number two. Those are those are the biggest things for me as resources, I guess. And Twitter, there's Twitter and YouTube too, but those two are my main ones that I've learned a ton from. Josh, do you have any advice to someone who maybe they would go on a Twitter or a YouTube like you just mentioned? Like within all those things, there's obviously people who are good, right? Like and good at it. There's also a lot of, a lot of phonies, right? A lot of people who aren't, and they're maybe just trying to sell some or they're just, or they're just frankly, just giving poor advice. Um, are there any tips you'd have for people maybe getting into it on how to kind of navigate those waters and, and find someone that kind of works for them or, you know, kind of is successful, I guess, as opposed to like falling for someone who maybe isn't so much, or is just trying to sell them something. Sure. Yeah. I mean, kind of what I did, um, I kind of just search traders, you know, and right away and look at people. And I came across that U.S. investing championships is one of the big things. And it's like a, it's like an audited like, competition. It's not fake. You can't fudge the numbers. It's real numbers. And I just look at some of the people who have won in the past or in the recent years and find them on Twitter and follow them. It's, it's about as simple as that. So you, they have real actual numbers they've traded with. Um, full transparency it tells like what they return that year so it's pretty clear that they're legit like this like this minervini guy he um he he gives a lot of his trades on twitter and stuff and he's fully transparent in what he does and his returns and if he's been doing it for 40 years he's probably knows what he's doing or 30 years and same with ropel he's he's managed a hedge fund i think for 17 years his own hedge fund and the average hedge fund life is like three years or something like that. Most of them close shop pretty quick. But if you can manage that millions of dollars through 15 plus years, pretty sure you're legit, you know, you know what you're doing. So that's, that's sure. how I find them, you know. Yeah, I definitely, I, I had personally never heard that. I'm not huge in the world of um, trading, but that definitely sounds like a smart route to take. I mean, in general, like go to the, go to the best of the best in their discipline, right. And, and follow yep. them. I think that's a, a wise choice there. Josh, let's talk automation here. Sure. Um, AI, robot, even just programmed bots in general, leave AI out of it for now, just yep. programmed bots. How, how do they affect the, the trading landscape? Do you think to those people, um, are, they, are they implementing bots? Are they using them a lot? And I know I've just heard so much about it, you know, that maybe you could only do it if you have a, a high powered computer or something that's like going to get your trades in like, and we're talking about, you know, microseconds here, right? Yeah. Like um, getting them in in time or having a programmed bot that's kind of working for you all all the time. Because I've certainly done my dabbling in this, never, not nearly as much as you, but probably more than the average person on kind of looking into this sort of thing. And I just always see those things that come up. And I'm curious how, how much of a role you think automation is uh, currently playing, uh, maybe the difference between now and the past, and then also kind of what the future might hold. Sure, yeah. So a number I've heard, actually, I don't know how true it is, but 
that like 70% of daily trades are automated. That doesn't mean they're all like strategy bots. You know, it could just be a big fund using the algorithm to fill their orders quicker. Um, Cause when you have, when you're managing hundreds of millions or billions, you can't just put in one order and get it all filled. You got to get it filled across different markets and whatever it be. But I think that's a lot of it. I, I'm not, I'm no expert, so I can't verify this, but I know one big thing in like automated trading is these firms will have like the, the order book, you can see what's coming in, what's coming out. And they'll actually, I can identify like big orders coming in, in like nanoseconds and kind of pick them off in a way where they'll get in before them. This big order will get filled, drive the price up like fractions of a penny and they'll get out. They're just picking out big orders. So like if they take a couple fractions of a penny from me, I'm, I don't care. I couldn't care less, I guess. It's not so much a, small trader problem i don't think it's more of a problem for the big institutions in my opinion and from what i've learned um that's that's why i understand is most of like the automated trading stuff you can have your automated stuff where you tell it to buy at whatever strategy whatever you want and i think anybody can do that you can find some resources online that make it seem like you can you can do that if you really want but it's tough because if your strategy doesn't work and it's a computer trading, it's not going to stop. It's going to, you know, you're going to melt it. So, you know. do you have any plans um, personally yourself to implement any of that sort of like a trading bot, for example? I, I know you've mentioned it. I've seen you post something maybe similar to that before. Um, it's obviously an area that maybe interests you. Do you have any plans going forward with that at all? Yeah. So. What I, for a while there, I was really committed. I was, I said, I have a couple strategies I want to try. I want to get them linked up to a bot and trade on like a paper account. So it's not real money, but it simulates it. And that's tough because it's a lot of software engineering and coding. And I don't know how to do that much. So I could never really find anyone to help. And I just, you know, I, I kind of not gave up on it, but I'm kind of doing more now where I plug in factors, or whatever, to Python or into Excel and it it'll tell me potential ones to buy. It doesn't tell me when to buy it or what exactly or buy for me, but it gives the one that like passed the factors, you know? Um, I'm kind of working on a big one on Python now using ch like chat GPT to code for me, which is really handy. Before that, I would have no idea. Um, but I'd say my plans, I want to, I don't want to fully automate something, but I want to get it where it like, kind of does the research for me, if that makes sense. And I'll, I don't have to dig into all these companies. It can just kind of give me, Tell me the names I want to be in. They're the leaders, as they call it. You know, so not so so much fully automated, but partially. Yeah, save time. Kind of like a an extremely souped up um, stock screener in a way, yeah. right? Like, yep. a, so for the average person out there, there's a couple screeners that I've personally used in the past. I, I always like Finviz. Yep. Um, I think that's a pretty popular one. I think that's good. And by screeners, we're talking, you know, just. Yeah, I only want companies bigger than this, right? Or I only want companies with a, a PE, you know, ratio smaller than this number. Just little, things like that. They're obviously all limited in their, well, not all, I guess, but they're limited in their capabilities on what you can do maybe for free or what you have to pay for. But that's kind of what he's talking about there as far as all those those advanced things that you're, you're, uh, you're building that wouldn't be available on just a standard everyday normal screener, likely. Yes. Um, yeah. And... I guess one thing I want to go back here with too is could you give us an idea of maybe like you don't have to use exact numbers of course but like maybe the biggest mistake you made um with trading or kind of the biggest lesson that you've learned in the past and then maybe kind of the also the bit your best uh your best moment or, or biggest success sort of thing Sure yeah so I kind of gave a little earlier about the like the GameStop stuff saw my account like over double in a couple of days and then lose it all in a couple of days. And that was just a trading account. Um, I'd say my biggest winner and loser, unfortunately happened in that order. I won and then I lost, but it was in their crypto run of like 2020, 2021, you know, everyone knew about that. Um, I got actually, when we got sent home from school for COVID, I was just bored researching, looked into crypto a little bit. And I think prices were like Bitcoin was $8,000 and Ethereum was like $200. So I threw a few thousand and then just messing around and see what happens. And then a year or two later, it's like Bitcoin's at 59,000 and Ethereum's at like 5,000. So I was up quite a bit of money and 
the biggest lesson I learned from that is to take profits when you can, you know, um, I ended up not taking much profits. I didn't, I probably made 20% of what I could have made on that. Um, so I was, I was still lucky to get in early enough to make a bunch of money, but that was one of the biggest lessons I learned was, you know, take it when you can take profits if you're up big and protect your account. Cause I don't want to be taking huge drawdowns. If you can build your account fast like that and in, in crypto or in leaders, like, and then you avoid drawdowns, that's, and you keep doing it over and over here. It's a, you're going to be rich. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how the, uh, a lot of these traders and books, that's kind of the strategy is just avoiding drawdowns and riding the winners up and repeat. For sure. Yeah. Um, Josh, there, we've talked a lot about trading here and there are some other strategies as far as investing goes. Um, I guess investing and trading would be kind of considered a little separate, but there's, you know, growth, uh, growth investing, right? There's value investing. Um, there's contrarian methods where you kind of go against the grain, uh, dollar cost averaging kind of be considered one in a way. What's kind of your personal, totally just personal, like order that you would rank those and how kind of maybe how effective they are purely purely in your own experience because obviously there's going to be people out there that think each one of them is the best you know yeah. that's obviously how it works and you know it really just comes down to a person because like me i'm going to put growth investing number one i have i'm 23 so i have however many years till i retire versus like my dad or a guy in his 50s and 60s who probably can't afford to take that much risk with growth investing where value and taking dividends is more beneficial to him. So it's hard to say, but personally for me, growth investing and trading is number one. Um, you kind of, I think you kind of have to do that now to even retire if you want, unless you're not making a high income. But even then, investing your money and getting eight, 10, 12, whatever percent a year, you have to do that to retire, in my opinion. You're not going to be able to afford to just save up unless you're making crazy money. But the silent killer of inflation will get yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah. You can do the math on it. Look it up sometime. Um, yeah. But personally, growth, I mean, if you would, uh, you're getting in the next Amazons, the next Microsofts, the next Apples, you're always going to find those in, in growth investing. And a lot of times ETFs are just fine for most, like 90, probably 99% of people. An ETF or a growth ETF is just fine because they're going to identify the next Amazons and Google's, whatever, the NVIDIA's. So, yeah, I, I, for me, it's growth investing and trading, number one, by far. I think you spoke to a really good point there, honestly, and I know we touched on it before, but just the fact that ETFs and mutual funds, you know, you want to find the ones with low fees, um, but they're really like good, excellent for 99% of people. Like, I think, you know, Social media has a way of bringing out the, uh, it highlights the highest of highs and lowest of lows. And a lot of those you'll see like individual stocks or um, crypto currency, for example. And and I don't know enough about crypto to really have like a firm understanding or a firm opinion on it that, that I'm really super confident in. But what I would say is you can't argue that it is newer, right? So it's kind of a little more on that, the the growth, the more risk reward volatility aspect of things, as opposed to like a, a very diversified um, ETF. And I think you speak to that, that that's, that's good for 99% of people. Like, but you also like need to be doing that. And it is extremely important. Like you were saying, because otherwise the time value money works against you, not for you and inflation, you know, is just going to be higher costs of living is just going to be eating away at your earnings. If you are just saving, because that might've been old school, you know, the idea of, putting your money in a savings account that's going to earn you a half percent a year or something like yeah. that, right? Like that, uh, it, it's not going to work over the long haul. So I think just the importance of investing some of your money and kind of the budgeting that goes with that, having the, it all comes down to discipline too, right? Cause it is money that you're not spending immediately, but you got to have that discipline and just put a little bit here, especially if you start early, it doesn't have to be a lot. Like you give it time to grow and it will snowball exactly how you'd expect it to. Yeah. Um, at least it has over the course of history, right? So I think a lot of, I think there was an investing kind of boom and it was trendy um, kind of before before COVID, uh, maybe even a little bit like not after COVID when it crashed, but kind of that recovery post COVID. I think it became very trendy. Um, and then a lot of people 
either a COVID hit and they saw their, their numbers tank and, or B, they kind of got in on the fear of missing out at the top of that, um, then the next recovery, and then it dipped more and people got out of it. Right. And I think a lot of people look at, looked at it now because of that as like a gambling thing. And I think that's because, like I said, social media will show the, the biggest sides of things, right. Or the, the trading side of things that may not necessarily be gambling, but it is higher risk. Right. And you have to be really good at it. Like you were saying, as opposed to someone who's just trying to get lucky, you know, that probably ain't going to work over the long haul. Right. Um, but just kind of that idea of like not being scared away just because of that and still putting your money away. Cause it is once again, over the course of history, the most reliable like market stock market has the highest long-term returns, you know, of any of the, the asset classes essentially. So basically I think that was just a really good point you made. And, and, and Josh, something I just kind of touched on there was crypto. Um, you brought it up a couple with uh, in 2021 or 2020, kind of that boom of it. Do you have much other recent experience with it? Is that something you're interested in going forward? I'm sure you're keeping an eye on it. Um, any any current plans with that at all? Yeah, so I mean, it's like last year, or so it hasn't been like much activity. It's just kind of up and down and flat. You know, hasn't uh, done much. But I'm still in it. I'm I believe in it long term, um, and. I don't know if people who pay attention to it, but there's institutions like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street who are actually going to be having Bitcoin ETF soon, which is going to give a lot more access to crypto, um, where they've they've been applying for approvals for ETFs and stuff on that. And Grayscale, who has a, a closed-end fund, so it doesn't directly track the price of it, um, they, they won a lawsuit against the SEC to actually convert it into an ETF that will hundred percent track the price of it. So getting those as ETFs where you can access it to the stock market through pension funds to investing accounts and are related to crypto, I think that's gonna open up a lot. But I think it's another new technology that it's probably years away before it's really adopted by a lot of people. It's still a brand new tech and lots of problems. It's just I put it ended up being a big part of my account and 2020 2021 just because it grew so much but i th i still have a little bit in it because i believe in it long term and i uh it's just pretty cool technology you can go down the rabbit hole on that and read about that all day but i, th I think it's i think it'll be important in the future especially with the support of all these big institutions if they what if what do they know you know that we don't know that they're putting billions of dollars in it but you know yeah definitely definitely um Josh, one of the things we kind of wanted to do on this episode was talk about AI a little bit and maybe how you've used it in some of the ways. Um, if you maybe want to uh, at some point share your screen, I know you talked about that, or just kind of maybe give give out some of the tips that you've used uh, for how you've used AI, maybe for trading or just for I mean, investing in general, how you've uh, gone about that coding, maybe even. Um, sure. Take it away. Yeah, sure. I'll share my screen in a second, but like... A couple of things that I think the coolest thing I've seen related to crypto and like it's um, how, how uh, what's I can't think of the word, but um, it's it's not just going to be like 3D printing where people thought it was going to be big and, and turned up not being much or the metaverse like right now. It, it was such hype a couple of years ago and now it's just kind of nothing now, maybe in the future, but not a whole lot to talk about it now. Uh, I think AI is actually a legit real deal gonna change the world um i saw a report from bank of america one of their research department they put out a report um on different factors affecting productivity in the economy and they went back hundreds of years and they had ai as influential on productivity in the economy as electricity and the internet added on about par with the productivity or increasing the productivity in the economy um, I think JP Morgan did one where they think it can add, uh, I can't remember the exact number. I'm going to, I can't say this is right, but like 30% to GDP by like 2030 or 2040, somewhere in there. Um, it's just going to automate so much of companies work. They don't, that it's kind of bad. It might take jobs, but it's going to save tons of money, make us way more efficient, way more produce, way more. Uh, some of the cool things I've heard about it. Um, is like for medicine one, they're going to be able to see how different stuff reacts together, um, create new medicine so much quicker because AI can identify that and, you know, um, predict that. 
uh, medicine one is, and it could, it can look at your DNA and find what medicines will match your DNA better. So you less, less side effects or work better for you. That's one big thing I think can be cool. Uh, content generation. I think people have seen that on a lot on TikTok or YouTube, whatever. You can now go on chat GPT and it'll write you a script for whatever you want to put content out for there. And then there's other websites you can create videos for it. And other websites you can have a voice talk about it and you don't have to do anything. It just does all your content for you. Um, fi- I mean, finance, it could pretty much replace financial advisors to a point. Um, there's lots of things. Uh, you can go down that rabbit hole also. There's a lot of resources online about that. But one of the things I want to show now, it's I think everyone's heard of it, ChatGPT. Uh, maybe you don't know about it. Maybe you use it a lot. But um, let's see here. My, I can share my screen and kind of show just a couple of things I think are cool. Chat GPT should be a tool that's taught in every school. Like the yeah. the the amount of automation and just the increase in efficiency that I've seen just in my personal life with using that and implementing it correctly is is absurd. And I'm sure you'll uh, explain some of those things. Yeah. And one other thing too I want to point out, Jim Ropel, the guy I talked about who I learned a lot from, um, I think the good point he said was Ben Franklin didn't put a key on a kite up in the air and discover electricity, and that was the end of it. It's our whole world today. And this is just the very, very, very beginning of AI. So I think, in my opinion, that's going to be the the Internet of our lives, or our parents had the Internet, or, you know, whatever it be. I think the AI is going to be our big thing of our generation. But, um for example, here, this is ChatGPT4. This is the paid version. There's a free version. You can get 3.5, but I get the paid version because I use it so much for coding everything. I'll just say I want to learn how to do a little trading indicator on TradingView, which is a, it's a platform you can trade on. Um, let's just say I want to create my own indicator on, let's say, um, create a... PineScript. PineScript is TradingView's coding language. Indicator for when price is above 50-day moving average. It's green. <laughs> so I got bad grammar. Red when price is below. Oops. That's the beauty of uh, the AI, though, right? It'll still understand what you're saying, even oh, if yeah. it's not proper. That's why it's so, it's just crazy. It's crazy, it's current abilities. You mentioned you have GPT-4, too, before yep. you go over what it what it makes. Have you noticed that that is, uh, like, definitely worth it, would you say? Because I, I use GPT quite a bit. Uh, I haven't pulled the trigger on GPT-4, but I just about did once. Yeah, I'd say so, definitely. Uh, especially for coding, like like I did. Three point the three point five or the free version it uh it's good but it's it's really buggy uh not quite as powerful and the code works sometimes sometimes it doesn't but three four it's worked like a lot more and it actually has new features where it can search the internet now with Bing before it was just limited to everything before twenty twenty one now it actually can right. search the internet in real time stuff and I think it's I I think it's definitely worth the money if you use it quite a bit but. So I, I copy this. I actually I did this before just to make sure it was working. But um, let's see, I got to change screens here. I, I put, I'll put it in the trading view and just show you. So say I, don't, I have no idea how to code. I want to make my own indicator on, let's see, just change screens here. Yeah, because that right there, what you did, I mean, that wasn't any coding at all. Like you just no. typed in exactly how to do it. So you wouldn't yeah. have needed to know that going forward. Yeah, you don't need to know how to code like at all, pretty much, and it does it all for you. So, this is just Nvidia, it's just a chart. I already copied and pasted it down here earlier just to show you. I save it, uh, and then you just click Add to Chart, and this is what it does. It'll just this is a very simple one too. You can do this on your own if you really wanted, but it does exactly what I said. When price is above the the fifty day is green. When it's below the fifty day is red. You know, just just a simple indicator, but without knowing how to code, it did it all for me in a 30 seconds or so. Um, I use it a lot for TradingView. This is what TradingView is. It's a platform for charts and stuff and indicators, and people can create their own indicators and release them. People can use them. I think it's pretty cool. But you can use this this thing, Pine Editor, to 
down here where you can actually like create your own indicators or a strategy which it'll back test for you um you know i can do all that it's pretty cool but you can get some pretty advanced indicators that gbt will make for you and put on here um that's just one example i use like on trading view it's really cool i think another one you could do say you're a content creator let's just say oops. say i want to start a podcast i'm gonna say uh, nice yeah <laughs> i'm gonna say um josh wants to start a podcast what are the first steps maybe it's maybe oh sorry i forgot i'm not i'm not sharing my uh oh you're good you're good it's screen. I share that i was just in love with the with the lines and the data on the trading screen <laughs> not gonna lie good 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 yeah it's mesmerizing all right so i typed josh wants to start a podcast and then i said what are the first steps and it lays out a whole guideline here for you of what to do first and it'll give these and then you'll say okay i have my topic it's business like you do business entrepreneurship everything um i've done my research found people i want to talk to name and branding say i don't want to know, i don't know what my what i want to name it i'll say what are name ideas if i'll say i'll just say if josh so it knows my name is talking about business and let's just say trading just because we've been talking about that and it'll give me name ideas just for to name it you know it's simple that's simple but I say oh i kind of like i don't like one i don't like two i'll say oh i kind of like i like four say but it's not exactly what i'm looking for give more options like number four say okay so i, I like i like trade tactics tactics with josh i like that name just for example say three is my new podcast name let's say and then i'll go back to the top whatever i'll say okay i did my name and branding and that stuff i say Oh, equipment and software. Say I don't have much. I'll say, um, say let's move to step four. You can kind of, you can just talk to it like a person, and you know, he's back. Say okay, yeah, yeah. microphone. You know, um, it's kind of slow just because. Internet's kind of bad, and I live with I live with five guys, so our internet's sometimes slow. Well, with the new well with the new Bing feature you're talking about too, I, I mean, it, you could probably ask it just like, what are the best you know microphones, yeah. right? Like, and it'll yeah. now that it's real time, that's the big advantage I think with four versus three point five. Big time, yep. But yeah, you get you get the idea. You can you could do this in depth as you want, or you can do it, you know, um, whatever, simple as you want. Let's just say, and I think a cool thing it also does, one of the good features, it can explain really complex topics in simple terms or as simple as you want it or, you know. So let's say, uh, I don't know what uh, acoustic treatment is. I'll say, explain acoustic, I spell that right? Acoustic um, treatment in simple terms. I definitely spelled that wrong, but it'll know. And it'll explain it in simple terms, just a topic. Say, I don't know what it is. So it, it's like a, I'd say it's like a pretty much a virtual assistant, but yeah, times a thousand. Yeah, honestly, like it, it's all, the thing with this is it's only limited to the inputs that you'll give it as a, as the human being, like if as yeah. creative as you can get with it and, and human beings have proven to be extremely creative. Um, it it'll it's only limited to what you can think of it and what you can tell it to do. That's what's crazy. Yep. I so like thing I've seen about it is like computers are obviously excellent with numbers and calculating and everything like that, and humans are dumb with that. But then on the other side, humans are super creative, and computers are the opposite. So you can combine these two, and 
I don't know. It's I, it's it really interests me in the future because I think it's going to change like everything we do almost. Well, and you talked about it potentially getting you know, getting displacing jobs. Job displacement is obviously a huge worry of it, and I think the biggest way to you know mitigate that on a personal level is to understand it and, and know how to use it, you know, at least so you can yeah. start implementing it yourself because if it's not you, it's going to be the person next to you, you know, and they're going to learn how to do it and they're going to become 30 times more efficient, literally Yep. Yeah, by using it and implementing it. So yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's uh crazy, it's crazy times. I like what you said about it being the, the, the internet, you know, of our time, because it, it really probably is this uh, mm -hmm. explosion. People thought it was going to be crypto. People thought it was going to be NFTs. People thought it was going to be the metaverse. But I think I agree with you. Like AI is definitely, there could be other ones too, but AI is certainly here to stay. Yeah. And this is just the beginning. I mean, this is like one of the first really products to consumers that you can use as far as I know. And think of the internet and I guess we were around like 1990s, but think of the internet in the 90s and what it's gone to today. I mean, you could, you could have had a business in the eighties, seventies without internet. If you don't, if you don't have a business with internet now, it's pretty hard to compete, you know? For sure. I think it's the next kind of same thing, but Jim, Jim, I've talked about Jim Ropel a bunch. He, he's big on AI. If you want to ever want to learn about like, he has a ton of content in AI and AI stocks to invest in. And he's, he's big into that. I've learned a lot from him on AI, but yeah. Josh, if you want to hop off the uh, screen share real quick, I got one last question for you here. And that question I have for you at the end here is uh, in, in, in a couple minutes or less, what's kind of been the most influential book for you? Not only trading, but just kind of maybe mindset um, as a whole. It's been the most influential on your life as a person. Sure. So I'll, I'll give two. One's trading, one's not trading. Um, trading, easily, how to make money in stocks. It's like, 10, 15 bucks, Amazon, wherever. If you want to trade, get it. That's like, it's like a playbook pretty much textbook on, on trading. It's, it's really cool. That's, that's, that's a, that's my favorite book trading wise. I learned a ton. Um, non-trading, I'd have to say probably 48 laws of power. Um, that's a good one. It's a kind of a basic answer, but I, I like that book a lot. I like history. There's a ton of history lessons in that and how the laws apply. I think that one's very interesting. Um, yeah, I'd say those two, honestly, those are the two biggest, but I'm not huge on books. I learn a lot from like just catching golden nuggets from Twitter or YouTube, whatever. That's where I learn a lot of my stuff from is maybe people give snippets of books and that's where I learn a lot of the main things, I guess, my most important things I've learned. But yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think, uh, like you, we've touched on it, Twitter, YouTube, any of those sort of things, they can. They can be extremely useful. You know, they can be extremely distracting, but if you're able to stay disciplined with it and uh, they can be extremely useful for learning those, even just, yeah, quick tidbits, uh, golden nuggets, like you said, from books that uh, will give you the insights into maybe the most important things, most revolutionary aspects that people have found from them. Uh, and then also, but I do think there's a time and a place for, you know, ingesting the entire book. And I think 48 Laws of Power, I think you might be the second person that said that. So not, not extremely common, you know, not, uh, but I actually haven't read that one. So that'll probably be one that I add to the list down the road yep. and we'll, uh, we'll pick up and, and give her a read. So Josh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I love talking to you about trading investings. I think we have a uh, similar aspirations and goals and regarding that. And, uh, I think it's fun. So yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks everyone for listening to me ramble for an hour, but I hope you learned some stuff and. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, Matt.